0: Hey, welcome to episode number 65 of More Than Bread. My name is Dan, and I'm your host for this podcast and your scripture explainer and Bible reader. About 30 minutes devoted to saturating our soul with scripture, listening to, learning from, and leaning into the word of God. The focus of this episode is John 20, as we near the finish line of John's gospel. The last two chapters, John 20 and 21, contain the amazing story of the resurrection of Jesus and how his closest friends responded to it. But, but to set the stage, to set the context, I actually want to focus in on one statement. It's, it's Jesus' words near the very end of the chapter. John 2021, 20, when Jesus says to his disciples, "As the Father has sent me, even so, in the same manner, in the same way I am sending you." In other words, all of this, life with me, all the great teaching you got, the miracles you saw, all these signs and, and statements and now the cross and the death and resurrection, it's all leading to this. You have a mission. You have a mission. Now, when I say the word missionary, what well, comes to your mind? If you grew up in my church, you're probably thinking stuff like, well, they leave home, they, they go to a different country, they sacrifice, they, they have to learn different language, probably wear strange clothes, eat weird food, and tell people about Jesus. Well, one of my childhood heroes was Theda Krieger. She was the first missionary I knew, a woman from Argentina who worked in Argentina with the children of Argentina. And in our little church that I grew up in in South Dakota of 75 people, she was our, our main supported missionary. And, and I remember experiencing, to be honest, just a little bit of awe when she would visit us. In our church, missionaries were like the top echelon of christians to be a a missionary was the highest calling a christian could receive i mean christians were were down here and pastors were maybe a little bit above that kind of in the middle and then missionaries they were they were way up here missionaries were the elite the navy seals of the christian mission and i'll tell you right now that she was a missionary who man she made a difference Back in 1997, I had the opportunity to reconnect with her when I went to Argentina to explore the work that God was doing through prayer evangelism. There was a revival taking place there. And and, and after meeting her again, after that, I I dug into a bit of her story. Well over 200 churches were started through her ministry. And she shared the gospel with thousands of kids. She, She really had a heart for children. One of those young kids was a man named Louis Palau who went on to share the gospel with millions more people. Louis said this about Theta. She walked in the spirit, was filled with joy and humility, and she invested herself in my life and my family. Sometimes he said, I still wake up at night and hear her voice. You've got to reach more children. Theta died in 2011. She was 102 years old, and she made an amazing impact that I can only hope to match. She was a missionary. But, but here's the thing, the interesting thing about Theta, Most of her mission took place in her neighborhood or someone else's. She would gather children in her yard. She would sit in someone's kitchen, not, not big crusades, not within the structure of a huge church, not by supernatural, miraculous encounters, but just moments of what we might call ordinary awe. <laughs> she never really left home. She didn't need to learn a different language. She just loved those around her so well that they met Jesus. She was a front yard missionary. So what if, before we read John 20, just ask you the question, what if Jesus has called you to be a missionary? I mean, isn't this what Jesus was saying to his disciples in John 20, 20 through 22? It comes after his death and resurrection. He shows up to commission his followers, give them their marching orders. And it says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. You're going to hear these words again in a moment. Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. In John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he basically says the same thing. We we read it just a few episodes ago. Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, he prayed. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Do you understand what this means? I mean, just like Jesus had a mission, you have a mission. You have a mission. I want to say it again. You have a mission. If you are a Jesus apprentice, you have a mission. Can you just say that to yourself right now, wherever you're at? Whisper it if you're in a crowd. I have a mission. I have a mission. I have a mission. Me, Christ has given me a mission. And listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. Science matters to God and business matters to God and family matters to God. But this mission, Christ's mission, is woven throughout every matter. It's woven throughout every calling. Well, what I want you to ask you to do right now is to ask yourself in the quietness of your heart, what or who are you really living for? If If you were to honestly look at where you spend your time, what, what you talk about, what you think about, what you worry about, what drives you, what is your mission in life? Does it matter? Jesus said, as the Father sent me, likewise, in the same manner, in the same way I'm sending you. And in other words, his mission to me is his model for me. His mission forms our mission. What is our mission in life? If, if we are Jesus' apprentices, we should study his mission to understand our mission, For example, in describing his own life mission, Jesus said things like, I came to serve and not to be served. I came for the sick, not for the healthy. I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Paul understood this. Near the end of his life, he would write in Acts 20, 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Sometimes we, Jesus followers, have this overwhelming sense of burden that the mission Jesus has given us is so stinking hard. How can He expect us to do this? People will ridicule us and hate us, and, and maybe, I don't know, ring our doorbells and then run away, or call us terrible names like Christian. And Jesus is up in heaven saying, No, no, you don't understand. It's good news. Tell them the good news about wonderful grace. Not bad news, it's good news. It's news of hope and redemption and restoration and resurrection and the love of God that changes everything. So keep all of that in mind as we read John 20. I'll be reading in the New Living Translation, John 20, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and she found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And and I I just want to, I want to take a moment because we're going to get into this in the next episode, but I'm setting it up here. Remember, in the last episode, the last couple of episodes, we talked about failure. We talked about Peter's failure. Remember, Peter's failure was he denied that he even knew Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. And going well back before that, I think it was in John 13, Jesus predicted. (laughs) He prophesied. He knew that Peter was going to fail. And so it's not actually surprising to me that as Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb, they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. you got to be wondering, does Peter really want to see Jesus? Huh. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Verse 5, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lined there, but he didn't go in 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 other words somebody didn't just take the body all wrapped up in the linen that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had prepared they they were unwrapped the linens that wrapped the body of Jesus were unwrapped it's just the body that's missing not not the whole thing and and again Think about Peter's mindset when we see in verse 5, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived, verse 6, and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, and he believed for until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. All those scriptures, all those times when Jesus tried to kind of warn them, especially in, in chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, all those they never really understood. You know, Peter said, No, Jesus, you're not gonna die. You're gonna lead us, you're the king. They never really understood until this moment. Verse 10, then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. The other two disciples went home. (laughs) They didn't see what Mary saw. Mary just couldn't leave. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. Verse 12, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. And she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. This is a, a little bit of a theme that we see in the Gospels. In, in, in Luke 2, uh, uh, or 3, two of the, uh, a couple of the disciples are walking actually with Jesus after the resurrection, and they didn't recognize that it was him until they invited him in to stay, and he broke bread, and then they recognized him, and then he disappeared. She doesn't recognize She sees Jesus. I don't know if it's because he has a new body, a glorified body, or if Jesus just keeps her from seeing him, or she just cannot believe. She can't believe that it's Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, he said in verse 15, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I'll go get him. Mary. Jesus said. (laughs) And it must have been something about the way that he said her name. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Verse 17, "'Don't cling to me,' Jesus said, "'for I haven't yet ascended to the Father.'" But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Don't cling to me. (laughs) I'm I'm not a hugger. I hear Jesus saying, don't hug me. (laughs) I'm not ready for the hugs yet. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to my Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. You know they've heard the stories. You know they're all wondering. You know they're wondering what in the world is going on, but they're still afraid. They're still afraid. They're still afraid. They're meeting behind locked doors because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders and suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side and they're filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And and this hearkens to, to Luke in the book of Acts when Jesus says to them later, says to them, you can't go on this mission. Don't go. Wait until you receive the Spirit. So here it's kind of a, a foretelling. It's a prophetic act that the Spirit is coming. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, verse 23, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. And, and before we go on, let me let me just comment here. You, you know, we-, we tend to give Thomas a bad time. We've given him the, the nickname Doubting Thomas. And-, and Jesus in a moment will say "It's it's better to believe even without seeing. But but, but make no mistake, Thomas is no different than any of the other disciples. Peter and John, they, they didn't believe without seeing. All of his disciples here were, were afraid, even though Mary said, I've seen the Lord, he's risen. They didn't believe without seeing. None of them believed without seeing. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, verse 26, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And, and before I go further, I love how C.S. Lewis describes this. He says, it wasn't that Jesus was ghost-like. It's not like, you know, wispy Jesus now. He's, he's, he's just a mirage. He's just an image. What, what C.S. Lewis says is the more, the closer we come to our redeemed bodies, when we receive our redeemed bodies, they are more real, not less real than this world. In fact, they're more real, so much more real that, that, that the buildings and, and, and stuff around, that was more like the, the ghost. <laughs> Jesus could walk through the walls like, like he, he could appear to people, not, not because he was ghostlike but because he was more real. He was more substantial than anything around them. So he appears amongst them. Again, peace be with you, he said. And then he said, verse 27, to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless, faithless any longer. Believe, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's all of us. You understand if you're a a Jesus apprentice, if you've surrendered your life to him, you're in that better than. You're in the blessed part just because of the fact that you have believed without seeing. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Verse 30, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written. Here we come to the purpose of the book. We mentioned this all the way in the beginning when we talked about the, the organization of the book into the miraculous signs and the I Am statements. Verse 31, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. You will have life by the power of of his name. On Friday and Saturday, the disciples are wrestling with a tombstone. They don't know that Jesus at that very moment is in the in the process of turning endings into beginnings and and making plans to mess up another funeral. I mean isn't that what we need today? Maybe you're listening to me and that's exactly what you need. You need someone to lead a cheer in the cemetery of your hope. And so what he gives us is Easter. He gives us a, a resurrection revolution. And and as I was thinking about this moment, you know, I just thought, here's what I wish. I, I I just wish I could get my arms around every one of you listening and just bring you in. And I know that sounds suspiciously like a hug and I'm, I'm not a hugger. So we'll just call it a huddle. I just, I want us to huddle up before we run back out into the stadium of life and tell you this is it. (laughs) This is the reason we've come. This is the, the reason we have hope, not, not just to celebrate what was. We're, we're seeking hope for what will be. We, we, we come to Jesus, we we come together to, to dive into the resurrection. We, we even listen to words like this to, to perhaps for a moment revel in again and wallow in it and pour it over our, our heads in celebration. And I know, I, I know there's trouble in the world. Sometimes it seems like death and uncertainty and evil are bringing all that is good to an end. But I'm telling you, Jesus has this way of turning endings into beginnings, of turning cemeteries into stadiums and and turning tombstones into stepping stones. And you know what a stepping stone is, right? A stepping stone is something we need to go to a place we could never reach on our own. And listen, what if the tombstone, whatever it is, whatever tombstone you're facing right now, the trouble, the doubt, the darkness, the difficulty, what if the tombstone you're facing right now is not an ending, it's a beginning? What if it's not a locked door, it's the key? <laughs> what if your tombstone is actually a stepping stone? I know everyone out there is trying to offer us their product, their webinar, their advice as the stepping stone to something new. Motley Fool is offering a stepping stone to greater wealth. For the health folks, it's a, a stepping stone to health. But I'm talking about a stepping stone of a different magnitude. Any stepping stone we can create will not bring us to the breakthrough Jesus is preparing for us. I mean, think about this. From Friday to Sunday, God put the world into a time of transition. It was the greatest transition the world has ever experienced, leading to a breakthrough that nobody could imagine. The resurrection stepping stone changed everything. I mean, what if the same is true of us? What if those tombstones, those hard things, those those troubles, those those characteristics and qualities in you that just need to die, what if they really are God's stepping stone? See, isn't that the message of John 20? John 20. It's the message of Jesus to his closest friends, to Mary and Peter and and all those gathered, even doubting Thomas. Mark tells us that an angel told the women that Jesus was risen. They obviously don't believe it, except for Mary Magdalene. Peter and John have this strange interplay of racing each other there, but then not going in, not believing, maybe believing. Honestly, it's a shaky faith, but hope, (laughs) hope is leaking out of the tomb. I mean, not their hope, but the cosmic force of hope, like Paul describes in Roman 8, the groaning of the world, longing to catch a glimpse of the glory of God's people. Peter and John went home, but not Mary. We see that in verses 11 through 14. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. They said, "'Woman, why are you weeping?' And she said, ah, "They've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him." And then, and then, having said that, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She didn't know that it was Jesus, but she couldn't leave. Mary couldn't leave. She didn't believe, but she couldn't. She couldn't leave. She's drawn to hope, and hope is just—it's leaking out of the tomb, just like the tears are leaking out of her heart. She's not sure about this resurrection stuff, but something is happening. Something is coming alive in her heart. She's weeping. For most of my life, I would have said, I'm, I'm not a weepy guy. And then when I was about 29, God began to do something in my heart. I called it my year of tears. And I developed this longing to be a man of prayer, a man that God could trust with his glory, someone God could use. And, and the tears started coming. And I'll tell you, more, more than two decades later, I've, I've had more seasons of tears only not a longing to be used, perhaps more just a longing to be with him. I just I just want to be with Jesus. But then in the last couple of years, even more so in just this last year, the tears come at the strangest of times over and over and over again. And you know at times I've had this sense that it's not my emotion. It's it's his. It's not my heart. It's it's his heart for me, his heart for his kids, his heart for the world. And and you know what? I'm learning to pay attention to the tears. Leonard Sweet describes it this way, says whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, you would do well to pay the closest attention. They're not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you have come from and is summoning you, summoning you to where you should go next. Mary's at the tomb because of her love for Jesus. But I think she's weeping because of Jesus' love for her. And I understand Paul hadn't written his letter yet to the church at Rome telling people that nothing can separate us from the love of God that we find in Christ. It wasn't written in the Holy Scrolls that the cross would show us the full extent of Jesus' relentless love for us. But this love was already written in God's story. And I I think somehow that love was starting to leak out into the world. Love gives us hope. Hope leads to love like the heaven just couldn't keep a secret. You see, the cross is part of the good news. It's the part that shows us the depth of God's love for us. It reminds us that God in eternity looked on us and seen all of our junks. And I, I want him. I want her and my family. I'll do anything to make sure that they're not left orphans. I'll pay the price. I'll give my life. I'll go to the cross. And listen to me. I'm not saying that Mary realized the full extent of the utterly amazing love of Christ that leads to forgiveness and our adoption into the family of God. But I am saying that the secret of God's love that started leaking out through the cross burst out full go when the tombstone became a stepping stone because love like that turns endings into beginnings it turns our lockdowns into breakthroughs listen he loves you i don't care who you are or what you've done i don't care if you you still don't even believe in jesus he he loves you with all his heart Follow the tears, and if there are no tears, just ask him to soften your heart. Ask him to begin to do a work in your heart, to break your heart out of the tomb. But make no mistake, when he breaks your heart out of the tomb to resurrection, power, and life, and hope, and joy, it's not just for you. It's for others. And the more you experience, the more we experience that resurrection power and hope, man, I'm telling you, you will hardly be able to keep from telling others. It's that good. (laughs) Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Can you hear his words to you? Even so, I'm sending you. You've heard me say it before so much in John 20. Let me read it again. Let it just soak into your soul, your heart. I'll read it from the message, paraphrase. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone was moved away from the entrance. She ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, gasping for breath. They took the master from the tomb. We don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple immediately left for the tomb. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first, outrunning Peter, stooping to look in. He saw the pieces of linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived after him, entered the tomb, observed the linen cloth lying there and the kerchief used to cover his head, not lined with the linen cloth, but separate, neatly folded by itself. Then the other disciple, the one who had gotten there first, went into the tomb, took one look at the evidence and believed. No one yet knew from the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. The disciples then went back home, but Mary, oh, Mary, stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she knelt to look into the tomb. Her first look, and she saw two angels sitting there, dressed in white, one at the head, the other at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. And they said to her, Woman, why do you weep? They took my master, she said. I don't know where they put him. And after she said this, she turned away and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to her, woman, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? She, thinking that he was the gardener, said, sir, if you took him, tell me where you put him so I can care for him. Jesus said, Mary. And turning to face him, she said in Hebrew, rabboni, meaning teacher. Jesus said, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and tell them, I ascend to to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went telling the news to the disciples, I saw the Master, and she told them everything he said to her. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews, they had locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. And then he showed them his hands in sight. The disciples, seeing the Master with their own eyes, were awestruck. Jesus repeated his greeting, Peace to you, just as the Father sent me, I send you. Then he took a deep breath and breathed into them, received the Holy Spirit. He said, If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? But Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples told him, we saw the master. But he said, unless I see the nail holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes and stick my hand in his side. I won't believe it. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. This time, Thomas was with them. Jesus came through the locked door, stood among them and said, peace to you. And then he focused his attention on Thomas. Take your finger. And examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. But Thomas said, My my master, my God. Jesus said, So you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way He personal personally revealed it. Let me pray for you. Father, I, I have no idea who's listening to my voice, but I, I know you do, intimately, that you know our lives from beginning to end. And Spirit of God, even though I'm, I'm not where any any single person who's listening to me is. I'm I'm not there, but you are. Spirit of God, you're there in that moment. And and you have access to hearts and minds. And I pray with all my heart that, and would would you touch the heart of each person listening? Would you soften hearts and open eyes that the enemy has blinded? Open eyes so that we see and believe and in the believing find life. I pray that, that whatever trouble any Jesus apprentices are in, that that you'd give them the hope that this trouble is not forever, that that even though there's trouble in the world, we don't need to let trouble into our hearts, that that, that you have this amazing way of turning what seemed to be tombstones into stepping stones. And I pray with all my heart for each and every person, including the, the people listening to me who do not yet believe. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would become missionaries on mission, sent by you, for you, like you. And all these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.